I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's good, Celtics fans? Happy Wednesday. I hope you're enjoying your drive, your commute. If you're just waking up, then you know I don't understand why my voice is the first one you're listening to, but thank you anyway. I'm joined by my boy, my co-host of the day, Mr. Greg Manakis. Greg's fresh back from Boston. He was in the city last night to feel the vibes on that uh, preseason win. Greg, how you doing, bro? I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah, I was back home for like five days. Uh, I'm from Dorchester, for those of you that are listening and don't know. Uh, So I was back home. Able to uh, watch the the Brady the Brady uh, return to Foxborough with my homies. Able to watch the Celtics game last night with my mom and dad. So it was good times being back home, man. And my mom my mom's all in on the Celtics team. She hasn't liked the Celtics teams of the past couple of years, but she liked what she saw last night. Yeah, so we'll get to your mom's takes in a moment because I'm interested <laughs> here. But first of all, I'm trying to learn the geography of Boston, right? Because Boston's a small city and then there's multiple yeah. kind of offshoots everywhere, right? I'll do so, I'll do my best. I'm not the best with geography, but I'll do my best. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, me and Will spoke about this recently, but um, I watched Black Mass a few weeks back okay. and uh, I've become educated on Southie. Um, yep. So now I understand there's a part of Boston called Southie and generally you don't want to go to Southie that, as a tourist. Is Dorchester in or around that region, or are we talking more like towards Lowell? Or I, I, I'm, no, I'm still Dor- learning. Dude, Dorchester and Southie are adjacent, so like it's, <laughs> it's Southie it's, adjacent. <laughs> it's seven minutes from my house to Southie by car. Oh, I could really? I could run there. It's like so from where I live. I grew up in this um, part of Dorchester. It's all by parishes, right? So it's a very you know Irish Catholic neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So like there's St. Anne's Parish, St. Mark's Parish, St. Brendan's Parish. I was a St. Anne's kid, uh, like in the Adams Corner, Adams Village um, part of, of Dorchester. So from my house, if I ran to Castle Island, where a lot of people go in South Boston, uh, it's probably about three and a half miles. So it's it's pretty close, man. So you, you, you're in the part. So Dorchester is south, is Southie adjacent. So if I come to Boston, I avoid both Dorchester and Southie. You can, you can. So, 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 coming to Boston. <laughs> Southie and Dorchester are towns in Boston. So we're actually like part of, of the city limits of Boston. So like uh, Boston's broken up into like all these different towns. So there's there's Dorchester, there's Southie, there's Westie, which is West Roxbury. There's Roxbury, Mattapan. Um, I'm, I'm missing a whole High Park, Rosendale. So like Boston, downtown Boston is kind of its own thing and it's a very small part of Boston. And then as you get further away from downtown, it's all towns, but it's all the city of Boston. Yeah, you Lowell's, got Charleston Lowell's outside. Yeah, Charlestown. I forgot Charlestown. Don't kill me, Charlestown people. Yeah, I watched that um I watched that one. What is it? The one with the bank hoists. What's that one called? The town. The town. There's Charlestown, the town. Yeah, yeah. I watched that too. So I got to I'm I'm slowly learning, man. I feel like when I come to Boston, I don't want I don't want to be getting lost. So like I'm doing as much. Oh, you will you will get lost. A hundred percent you'll get lost. For real. I mean when yeah, I was it's in really hard like, to navigate. I ended up in um Crenshaw. So I don't really <laughs> want to like, like for real, for real, at like eleven PM at night and on my own. So like I'm trying to think of ways that I can not end up in boston's version of Crenshaw. yeah for sure for sure um well when you come you know you got to let us know me and will we'll make sure that we're back there so that we can kind of show you around 
Yeah, for sure, man. Otherwise, it just gives me a reason to jump on the next flight and come out to Texas. Dude, Texas, I mean, right now, right? So it's it's early October. For the next two to three months, Texas is the place you want to be. It's going to still be in like the high 70s, low 80s. It's going to be really nice there. So if you want to make it happen, bro, I'm telling you, just hop on a plane. We got you. Yeah, I need the COVID restrictions to be eased first. Anyway. Anyway, people that didn't need to hop on a plane because they were playing at their home court in front of a, was it a full TD garden? I think it was a full TD garden. It, was, it sounded like it. It definitely sounded like a full TD garden. It was the Boston Celtics, and they played for the first time under Mr. Ime Udoka. And, you know, it may have been good. It may have been bad. But we, we saw some really encouraging signs. I think there was a few things that I want the team to work on. Before we dive into that, you said your mom's all in on the team, man. So, uh. What, what's your mom had to say? Is, she, is it specific players? Is it Udoka? Is it just the way that they played? Yeah, I think it was the way that they played. Um, the energy that they were bringing. You know, she likes the blue collar, you know, classic Boston grit, the Isaiah Thomas type teams of the past. Um, so the last few years, just for whatever reason, I mean, we don't need to beat a dead horse, but the Celtics just like didn't really have the it factor that made them special. Um, even, even though they were supremely talented dating back to the bubble, we're two games away from the finals. We just didn't quite have that it factor. Um, and I think even though it was a preseason game, it was very apparent that this team is going to be playing fast. They're going to be playing with a ton of energy. They're going to be diving for loose balls. They're going to be, you know, crashing the boards for offensive rebounds, gang rebounding, blocking shots, getting deflections, getting steals, all the stuff that Celtics fans have grown to love about the team dating back to you know the Larry Bird era and I, I think that this is going to be something that my mom can buy into and that a lot of Celtics fans can buy into because one thing they're not going to lack is effort and energy and if, if that's the baseline then that's a pretty good place to start yeah and that's what you want right you want a team that unites rather than kind of divides because I felt like last year's team especially was like ridiculously divisive amongst Celtics fans. You had guys on the, hey, this is like a kind of a rebuilding year. That You know, there's been COVID. Some of these guys were waiting on internal development. And then you had the other half of the divide that was like, but we have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Why are we not making moves to compete straight away? And both had very valid points. We're not going to go into that. I feel like we, we dissected that at length throughout last season. So there's no need to, as you said, be a dead horse. What we do have now is a whole new group of guys we have a whole new coaching staff a whole new offensive and defensive structure and one of the things that stood out to me and i kind of spoke about this a little bit i've wrote about this a little bit was when udoka was preaching selfless basketball i was pushing the narrative of hey that doesn't just mean pass but it means screen it means cut and especially in like especially like when it involved getting jason tatum post touches they ran a bunch of off-ball movements some screens zipper cuts baseline cuts they ran so many different variations of off-ball maneuvers to get Tatum low post opportunities and I'm sure there was for others but I just I wrote about Tatum today so that's where I focused my, most of my attention um that that really stood out to me because I'm like hey they actually are playing selfless basketball I mean Dennis Schroeder was passing the ball up more often than he was looking for his own shot whether that's sustainable throughout the years one thing but in this like in this vacuum from what we've seen I was really impressed with the amount of activity when people were off-ball yeah, and it seemed like they were really trying to get Tatum into his spots, right? The, the low post to mid post baseline touches. That's where Tatum was really getting the ball. That's where he was doing damage. Um, they ran that nice little inbounds play where he had the rip through baseline and dunked on somebody. 
Um, they had that other play where he dunked on Wendell Carter Jr., which was ridiculous. Like that actually had me standing up in my living room, like just screaming, running around. That was great. Um, I, and I just think overall the actions that they were running um, definitely, it, it, they seemed to be, you know, catch and make a decision. you got to make a decision right away. You don't want to be holding the ball. You don't want to be a ball stopper. And I think after the first couple possessions in which Tatum did that, he kind of reverted back to how he played last season. He did a really good job. He was decisive. And when he did hold the ball, it was because he was kind of surveying the defense from the mid to low post, right? And he had that nice, um, after he had three or four times in which he torched people in the in the mid post, they started to send the double team and he was patient. He kicked the ball to JB for a wide open three pointer. So I think that getting Tatum the ball in his spots is something that they're going to be looking to do all season long. And I saw you posted on Instagram that little I think you called it a hammer uh, hammer play that they ran. But I, to me, it was like almost like an inverted hammer where they had the the ball handler come to the top rather than dribble baseline. And Horford kind of set like a, a parallel to the baseline screen rather than setting an up screen for, for the guy to, to fade to the corner. Um, and I was wondering, you know, other than that play, I haven't had time to go back and rewatch the game and rewatch the tape. Did you notice any other specific actions that they were running that stood out to you? Because that inverted hammer play was really nice. Yeah, so I was toying with what I had to label that, whether it was a hammer screen, whether, whether it wasn't a hammer screen. I mean, if you look at the hammer variations, a lot of the the screens for the shooter. Sometimes they're set up on the wings. Sometimes they're literally just while a player's relocating, you can hammer screen just to get, it's all about getting that open three point shot in the corner. I think that's the outlook, but the ball handling position is definitely prevalent, whether or not it's going to be a swing across the baseline. So I could definitely call it an inverted hammer. Um, I could definitely call it a hammer. I definitely see where you're coming from with that aspect. I think another one, that I, they ran a bit of delay um, with Robert Williams at the top of the key. Uh, there was that one player tweeted about where, um, you had, I think it was Robert Williams set a screen for Jalen Brown. I don't know the name of this set, whether it even has a name, but Robert Williams set a screen for Jalen Brown. Um, Tatum fed Robert Williams, so Rob had the ball in the delay. And then Brown set a back screen for Tatum to unleash Tatum downhill. And that's when um, Rob Williams fired that high-low entry, and it was just a bit too much for Tatum. And Tatum almost went out of bounds, and he fed it to Poncho in the corner. Mm -hmm. um, so I really like that movement. I'm not sure if that has a name. To me, it was kind of like, it was like a partial stack pick and roll, but there was no pick and roll or no stack. I don't know. It was like three or four <laughs> pieces were missing from that set for what I was expecting to see. Um, they had Al Horford running some zipper cuts. They were running some stuff out of zipper series. Um, there was one play. Tatum got the ball in the post, but off a um, sideline out of bounds from Neesmith. But before, and I wrote about this one as well, but before Tatum actually made himself available to receive the ball, he set a screen that allowed Al Horford to do a zipper cut, uh, which obviously drags one of the defending bigs towards the perimeter, which then gives Jaylen, uh, Tatum more room to attack the space around the rim. Um, outside of that, I think they they like to run, um, they ran some open corner and pick a roll sets. They ran a bit out of their um, elbow series. I was expecting to see a bit more motion, like motion strong. I was expecting to see them run some motion strong. Didn't see that. I might have missed it. Uh, and outside of that, it was just principles of stuff. Like, um, I don't know if you read Gibson Piper's uh, newsletters. Do you read Gibson Piper's newsletters? No, I don't. So Gibson Piper's probably one of the best X's and O's guys available. He's probably the one I read the most because I'm always trying to learn. Um, and he done one the other day. It was five out, um, five out offensive principles. And he pointed at one called the 0.5 principle. So that's where 
a player, once he receives the ball, he has 0.5 seconds to make a decision between shoot, pass, or drive. Mm -hmm. And Monty Williams ran that a ton with the Phoenix Suns last year. So it doesn't mean you have to shoot within those 0.5 seconds, but your decision has been made. So your actions then are very, very aggressive and you're decisive in the in the movements that you make. And it leads to really crisp offense. Um, and there was periods during the third quarter when they were playing a five-out offense that you could start to see those principles in play. Whether Udokas has them to do that or whether it was just a stretch of decisiveness, I don't know. Um, but it did really stick out to me. Is there anything that you saw? Um, I, I guess just the pace in general. They were looking to push the ball the whole game. It didn't really matter who had the ball. If it was a big man that could push, like Horford, uh, Grant Williams did it a couple of times. They got the ball and they went. You know, And I think that's important. Um, it looked like they were trying to get the ball into JB's hands a lot in transition. That was something I noticed that he was one of the primary outlet men. It makes sense because he was one of the best um, finishers in transition last year. I think he was either first or second in the league in transition, in transition points per game. So that was definitely something that I noticed. And it made for um, a little bit more chaos. I think they were trying to get used to the speed of the game. And that resulted in a lot of turnovers. But in general, I just really liked the pace in which they were playing. And you're right, you're right about um, Schroeder. I thought he, he played a really good pick and roll, probably a little too unselfish. Marcus Smart, for all the people that were worried about him, transitioned to the point guard role. Is he going to be able to you know, kind of curb his desire to shoot uh, heat check three-pointers? He took six shots. And the two baskets that he had were, were great moves, um, attacking off the catch. I think Smart did a good job being decisive. He had a couple plays early on where he just made some careless passes to the wing. I think Terrence Ross picked him off twice on the wing. But in general, he played an unselfish game. You know, and Marcus Mark got paid. A lot of people may be overlooking that factor as to maybe why in the past he shot so much is that he was trying to prove his worth to the open market. And the open market is not there anymore. Marcus Mark got paid. All he has to do now is focus on being the best version of himself as a point guard. And I thought he did a really good job of it last night. Obviously, there's going to be a pretty steep learning curve for him there. Um, playing primary point guard against um, other teams, uh, first, you know, first team defenses. So he, he's going to have a lot a steep learning curve there, but I, I liked what I saw. Scal even made a comment during the broadcast that he thinks uh, Schroeder is the better pick and roll player, and I agree. And he made a he made a distinction between uh, Schroeder being a better playmaker, but Smart being a better passer. And I, it's going to be interesting to see how Udoka kind of figures out the right balance and the right lineups, who Schroeder should actually be with, considering he is the better playmaker in in the pick and roll and how many minutes he'll steal from Smart in that point guard duty. I'm excited to see that battle because I've got a feeling that we're going to see each of those two guys kind of um, concede the starting position once or twice each throughout the season. I don't think it's just going to be. I know Udoka said that he wants like a settled starting five. But I think that point guard position is really going to be where the biggest battle is. One question for you is like, um, I read something somewhere earlier saying like Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, you know, Jalen went at Smart a little bit after the game, said he wants to, um, he was holding Smart a little bit more accountable, even though he's all first team defense. You know, Smart needs to be, be willing to come out there and set the tone early so that everybody will follow. So we've heard that narrative of accountability all through the year, right? Like all through the summer, sorry. And then for that to happen on a preseason game and for JB to turn around to Smart and be like, yo, you played well, but, you know, you need to give us more. You need to give us more on defense. You need to give us more as a lead ball handler. You're stepping up into this position. I'm telling you I want more from you. Like, um, that's both 
encouraging and concerning at the same time right like you're encouraged because you're like yo you guys are just trying to push the best out of each other you're concerned because you're like if you're all if there's already that bickering even though it's coming from a place of good and it's trying to push people on that can sometimes go the opposite way right and you know eventually smart could be like yo you need to get off my back and so being off that first game that first preseason game I was super happy to see that the accountability was definitely something that wasn't just being talked about. It's obviously being put into action as well. But I was concerned about the ramifications of that that accountability or, you know, air quotes in fighting, which I completely don't think it was. But I am concerned about the ramifications of that starting literally on the first game of preseason. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to set the tone, right? And I, I, you want to start it from from the first game. You want to be able to have that communication, that open, honest, blunt communication. And you also have to know your audience. If Smart is a guy that responds best to open and honest communication, then that's something that Jalen Brown can do in front of people. You know, I, I think Marcus Smart has thick enough skin where he can handle that public criticism. Maybe not, though. I don't, I don't know. I've never had a conversation with Marcus Smart. But if that's something they're trying to establish as a team, that the Jays are the you know are being more vocal, maybe this is something that they're still learning how to do as leaders. We don't know who's going to be the captains, but if JB maybe JB's trying to you know make a point that he wants to be a captain, and this is how he thinks that you know people should communicate within the locker rooms, just say how it is, and he's maybe he knows that calling out Marcus Smart in front of everyone is going to challenge him. Um, you know, find a little bit more intrinsic motivation after he gets some extrinsic motivation to uh, just be better. And, you know, smart, smart was good. I, I, I can see where, where JB would want more from, from smart, but it's a feeling out process, man. And if that feeling out process also applies to the way that they're communicating with each other and it, uh, hopefully, hopefully the ramifications aren't that the team crumbles after 15 games because JB and smart just don't get along and they clash too much. But I think that overall um, the accountability aspect of it throughout the game, you could hear players communicating with each other in a mostly positive way. There was one time I heard JB call out um, Robert Williams because he didn't get back in. He, he switched out on the defense and then he didn't crash the boards to get a rebound and they got like a second chance opportunity and the magic scored. Um, and JB called out Rob. He said, Rob, we need you in here to rebound. You know, so I to me, I'm I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. I think the fir- first preseason game, the guys on the roster and everybody on Twitter and everyone watching the games, we got to focus on the positives. And I think that there were a ton of positive things to, you know, to kind of tip your hat to. Specifically, one thing I kind of wanted to bring up with you and I wanted to see if you buy into this narrative at all is the the fact that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can almost be looked at as like a starter and a closer where JB just comes out given all the energy that he can. He's looking to score early on in the game and that Tatum feels his way into the game. And eventually at the end, when it matters most, uh, he takes over. Uh, so I have some, I have some stats. I just kind of want to throw your way and see if you put any stock into this. So I was kind of looking at their first quarter numbers last season. Uh, Jalen Brown. First quarter field goal percentage, 49%. Jason Tatum, first quarter field goal percentage, 41%. And then throughout for Tatum, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, he goes from 41% to 45% to 47% to 48%. So by the fourth quarter, he's shooting 48%. Uh, JB is actually kind of 
the opposite. He goes from 49%, second quarter, 44%, third quarter, 54%, fourth quarter, 45%. So it really seems like he's like expending a lot of his energy in the first and third quarter and letting Tatum handle the second and fourth quarter. And I was just kind of wondering if you think that that is by design, if you think this is sustainable, if you think it's effective, kind of just your overall thoughts on those trends. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like I see Tatum and Brown as interchangeable as who could be the guy to get hot in the beginning, in the start of games, who can be the guy to get hot to close out games. Uh, majoritarily, I agree. I think that Brown is more more instant offense at the beginning of games. He usually could. Brown starts the first half and second half of a game really well. He always seems super energized to get the team off on the right foot. Tatum, as you say, he kind of builds his way into that. I definitely see where you're coming from. I do think there's a world where part of it was by design, you know, the way Brad Stevens would possibly put JB on in the third quarter, but keep um, Tatum on the, on the bench for a little while, let Brown run the offense a little bit. And obviously Brown seems to be a little bit more or was last year, a little bit more efficient in his shot selection than what Tatum was. Brown's also more of a rim pressure scorer as well. Obviously last year we saw that pull up jumper develop a bunch. So we did see him shooting more off the pull up. But by design, Jalen would always try and get those, uh, you know, drive into the mid-range or drive into the rim. So his percentage should be a little bit higher. And I think that's what Udoka's trying to do with Tatum this year is be like, hey, you, you know, you, your physical design, your physicality and your build allow you to be an excellent rim finisher. So that's what we want from you this year too. Mm-hmm. But no, there's definitely some stuff to put in that. And I'll be curious to see if that develops more this year or if that levels out and both of them become kind of very similar level impact guys in terms of field goal percentage of true shooting percentage that's for sure Yeah, and when you think back to the the video that came out of Udoka working with Tatum during the during the summer on the Olympic team, it was in that mid post, right? So maybe that's something they're really going to be focusing on, as we kind of touched to uh, touched on a little bit earlier. And um, one one other question I was kind of kicking around in my head as to why Jason Tatum, you know, struggles to get into rhythm early in games, whether it's shot selection, um, his lack of driving to the hoop, and one thing I kind of found was his free throw attempts in the first quarter. So last season, Jason Tatum had 40 games in which he did not attempt a free throw in the first quarter. In the games in which he attempted at least one free throw in the first quarter, his scoring average in the first quarter was 8.1. And in the 40 games in which he attempted zero free throw attempts, his scoring average in that first quarter was 3.6. So if Ime is going to start scheming for JT to get the ball in the mid post early in the game, I think that's a way to kind of unlock Tatum getting to the line early in games and really find a rhythm from the free throw line and then kind of work his way out. Because we can't have these, you know, these moments where JT's first three shots of a game are contested fadeaway, you know, mid-range shots or contested sidestep threes. We got to find ways to get him the ball in his spots and hopefully getting the ball in that mid post or low post is going to translate into more free throw attempts, which will be, you know, lead to more efficient games. And those games in which Tatum gets to the line early, those are the games where he goes for 50. Those are the games where he goes for 60. So that's something I'm going to be tracking throughout the season is just where is Tatum getting the ball? 
is that translating into more free throw attempts early in games? And does that then result into more consistent play throughout the game? Yeah, I mean, Udoka's said, uh, Udoka said after yesterday's game, Tatum's going to play big boy ball this season. Um, he very much meant that we're going to put Tatum in position where he's going to use his physicality on that block. Uh, we're going to put, and I think that's why they made such a conscious effort to run plays that opened up opportunities for Tatum to post guys up, for Tatum to get ripped through drives off the baseline. They ran that zipper cut, for example, with Hawford to open up that space. They would, they would run him, you know, they'd run an open pick and roll and have Tatum, uh, open corner pick and roll and have Tatum duck into the post to be able to receive that high low end, that post entry pass. So they're definitely looking to do that. And I think that. That's part of the reason why he has started slowly most of last year and most of the time in his career is because he's very much being a perimeter player rather than a guy that finishes around the rim and gets to the line. Because as you know, you don't really get to the line unless you're driving the lane or you're working down on the block because that's when guys really want to foul you to stop those easy two points. So I think that we'll definitely see Tatum improve there. I think the other question I've got is talking about Brown as well. One thing that really stood out to me in this game was Brown went ISO a couple of times. Completely fine with that. Go ISO. But that dribble looked so tight and so crisp. I think his handles were... He looked like he'd really sped up his handling speed. His control of the ball was phenomenal. Um, there was one play where I think somebody swiped at him, caught him on the wrist, and it looked like it hurt him a little bit. I know mm -hmm. when he got questioned he about it, he said oh, it's an 80, he's at 80 to 85% on that wrist. But um, that handle for me is going to be huge because one of the biggest things about Brown is whenever he's isolated, you know he has to really use his athleticism to drive that lane because he's not really beating guys off the dribble like that. It's very much reliant on that first step burst. You add this dribble in and with Brown's athleticism and change of pace, oh boy, he's going to be so hard to stay in front of this year. Yeah, there's a distinction between having handles and having moves. And in the past, Jalen Brown has had moves. And the handles that he was showing last night were really impressive. There's that one play where I think he got, like, trapped um, on the sideline on a pick and roll, on, like, you know, pick and roll going towards a corner. And he hit somebody with, like, a four-combo dribble to keep the ball away and then drove towards the middle. I don't think he ended up doing anything with it. But it got me to go, ooh, like, I, I didn't know that you had that in your bag. It reminded me of Kawhi Leonard when Kawhi suddenly went from having moves to having handle. And now, like, you can't take the ball from Kawhi Leonard. And that's some that's someone that I've always kind of looked at, Jalen Brown, potentially being maybe not Kawhi, because Kawhi is one of the best players of all time, but, you know, a reasonable facsimile of what Kawhi offers on the court. And ha that stepping up that handle is definitely one way that he can do that. Um, so I agree with you, man. And another thing that stood out to me with JB was he took 12 three-point shots in, what, 25 minutes of action? And one that tells me that Udoka wants him shooting more threes. He's confident in his three-point shot. He was looking to get threes from the corners, which is something that he kind of went away from last year. A lot of his three-point attempts, I, I remember doing a deep dive on his percentages at some point during the year, but he was at like a career low of attempts from the, from the corners. It was like 11% or something like that. And his career average was around like 19% free, um, three-point attempts from the corners. And it looked like he was looking to get corner threes. You know, that hammer play that you alluded to earlier or we talked about was an attempt to get him a corner three off of a timeout because they know that he's money from, from the corner threes. And if Tatum is getting the ball in the low block, that is going to just open up more opportunities for Jalen Brown to shoot. But also brings us to the question that we were kicking around earlier earlier in, in the offseason, who is going to be that fifth starter? 
Because to me, it's not going to be Wancho. I think that was just an experiment last night. I thought he played well in, in his in his minutes. But I still think it needs to be someone that's a shooter. And Wancho can shoot. We didn't see it last night. But he's not someone that has gravity on the floor. So now I'm wondering, the last three preseason games, does Udoka continue to experiment with that fifth starter? Does he go Grant one game? Does he go Neesmith one game? And then does he go Pritchard one game? All shooters. Because I think it's important to see what that lineup looks like if we have that that fifth starter be someone who can be no, more knocked down. Because Grant looked pretty good last night, man. He, I think he only shot one three-pointer, but that looks that looked pure coming out of his hand. And he had, he had that one play where he pushed the ball in transition and made a nice pass up to JB who threw the alley-oop to Tatum. And... I don't want to like get too excited about Grant Williams because I don't know if he's really that dude, but I would like to see him get an opportunity one game this preseason to see what he does and to see what that shot looks like with more opportunities. Yeah, and I'll be completely down for that. Like I'm down for running whoever you want who's going to be in a shooting role for the that fifth starting spot. For me, it still needs to be Neesmith. I just think for developmental-wise and for the fact that he's probably be the best poor shoot, pure shooter that you have on the roster. So if you need a shooter on that starting five, you go with your best pure shooter. Um, but I'm completely down. Maybe even try Josh Richardson, you know, because you get that defense along with a free. But I do think that Richardson needs to earn his minutes defensively and then prove his consistent shooting is at a point while well, his shooting consistency has improved from what you've seen in previous seasons before you could even class him as a shooter. Because at the moment, I've just got him as a defensive piece that can make shots on occasion. That seems to be where I am with Richardson at the moment. I'm not low on him, but I'm also not as high as some. Um, I do think that it definitely between Pritchard makes sense to me. I just think he's giving up a, quite a bit defensively if you run Pritchard in the starting five. Um, I think that ideally it should be Neesmith. I understand giving Grant a try. Definitely give Richardson a try as well. Am I missing anybody? I know Yeah, I want to see that double big lineup run as well. I do mm -hmm. want to see Horford and um, Williams run together. Definitely. And... Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know that Pritchard is going to end up working out because of the size disadvantage. But I think against certain teams, maybe you could slide him in at the two. Um, Romeo, he, he, he flashed a nice three-point shot. He had the game winner, obviously. And he came out playing with energy, which is something I haven't really seen out of Romeo. He was, you know... Uh, challenging shots he was skying in for rebounds he was just moving with a purpose on the court and he didn't look as sleepy as he normally does <laughs> like he looked alert and he looked like he was ready to go like right when he jumped into the game and with Richardson man I mean his defense is great he's a great defender but that shot looks broken I don't I don't know man and he was shooting he passed up a couple three-point shots stepping in for mid-range shots that were just like he was shooting curve balls didn't look good coming out of his hand um, I, I just don't see him as, as a starter. I see him more as someone that's just going to come off and give energy. He seems like he's going to be a great veteran presence. I mean, we had him in the game at the end of the game. He was the yeah. only veteran. It was like him and then all the young guys, right? So um, I, I think that it was important to, to kind of see that out of Richardson to see what he could do. Um, what, was he going to try and take over the game because he was playing with the young guys? And the answer was no. He kind of stuck in his role. He was just playing good defense and bringing energy. And that, that's what we signed him for, is someone that is going, you know that you can rely on him no matter what the situation is, just to go out there and play hard. Um, I mean, the, you, go ahead. sorry, the enticing thing about Richardson is the one thing is you can still sell yourself that there's a free level scorer behind the 
beneath the surface somewhere. There's a guy that can light you up from each scoring level, the rim, the mid-range, and the free. Because you saw that when he was with Miami during his final year with Miami. And I think that's where a lot of his issues have come from, right? Like sometimes you overperform in your role and then that, that becomes the expectation, right? So that's probably why things didn't work out in Dallas because they were saying, look, this is who you were in Miami. We want you to do the same here. The pieces are different. The system's different. It's not going to work. And that's why I'm really big on just, and like you say, play your role. And that's why I'm big on having Richardson come off the bench and just focus on defense and some secondary or tertiary ball handling duties. If the shot's open, take it and slowly develop your role throughout the course of the season. Get Get the feel for where the offense wants to run. Prove you can consistently hit your jumpers and then work from there. If your shot's broken, that's fine. Just play defense and ball handle, and I'm cool with that. Yeah. So we're about 32 minutes in here. I want to. I did want to have a little bit of time to talk about what I saw from the Magic, just because I thought they were kind. Of, you know, they were really interesting to watch last night. Um, did Did anybody stand out to you on that team? I know that we talked about Cole Anthony as someone that we might want to target. Yeah, um, in the off season, yeah. but he was he man. He looked like prime Ben Gordon to me. <laughs> Yo, Cole Anthony played great. I think he stepped back on the. Um, just outside of the three-point line, you know, he, he takes that one step in like he's going to drive, hitch with that drag back, and then that shot's so fast, it's money. Uh, I think Suggs had some good defensive um, stretches. I love Suggs, man. I think offensively, he's going to take a minute to acclimate to the NBA, but I do think that when he does, he's going to be quite dangerous. Um, I mean, Miami, I've got, I, I, was in, I was interested to see Wagner play, um, but realistically, like, I think Mo Bamba had a good game. Overall, though, with, with Orlando, for me, it was very much a collective performance. You're talking about a bunch of young guys. Some guys have been in the league two or three years, got something to prove. Wendell Carter Jr. being one of the prime examples in that kind of umbrella. And then you've got guys like Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, that are just you know finding their way in the league at the moment. So I did see it as a collective. But yeah, Suggs' defensive intensity and positional IQ was great for his first game in the league. And Cole Anthony was there. In my opinion, their most potent scorer, and then Terrence Ross is Terrence Ross. <laughs> Terrorizes the Celtics every year. Uh, yes, yeah, Suggs to me is like him and Marcus Smart when they both dole for that loose ball, and their bodies just like you know, unstoppable force meets a movable object when they dole for it. I was like, oh man, that's the Spider Man meme, like manifesting in reality. <laughs> like Jalen Suggs is a more talented, bigger, stronger faster version of Marcus Smart you know what I mean he's just like a better version of Marcus Smart and he's a rookie um I think that Suggs is the guy I like when I saw him play in the NCAA tournament I was ready to trade it off for him I was ready to go fabulous and I I told Will I was like I don't know who I would trade for him but like I would definitely trade a big piece to get Jalen Suggs I love what that dude brings to the court I can't I mean he blocked Robert Williams and Jason Tatum on like back-to-back possessions that was crazy that was crazy and I thought his three-pointer, that was the biggest question mark uh, coming into the season for him. It looked it looked smooth. Um, he's going to he's gonna have to figure out where he can get that shot off. I liked what I saw out of him. But Cole Anthony, man, you were right. I didn't, I didn't watch enough of the Magic last year to have an opinion on him. But he looked great. As I said, he looked like prime Ben Gordon. Like Ben Gordon on the Bulls in 2009 going like shot for shot with Ray Allen. Like he looked that good. And Mo Bamba, so Will and I live down here in Austin, Texas. So – Mobamba went to UT. So Will and I went to a whole bunch of those games. And I actually think Bamba, his first two years in the league or three years, whatever it's been, has played to his like absolute floor. I think Bamba has a lot of potential. 
that he he might be able to tap into because the biggest issue with him has always been his motor, enough similar to Romeo. He looks sleepy on the court. Doesn't look like he he kind of like understands. Maybe like his brain hadn't caught up to his body yet. He was you know, yeah. taking time to process everything. But it seemed like he was in the right position. Um, he was being playing with force. He shot the three point ball, which is something he did in college. He had a night. He had a he had a nice stroke in college. Um, so. I'm excited to actually watch the magic. I'm kind of kicking around in my head right now with all this young talent in the league, which teams are going to win my affection for like the league past darlings and the magic after last night. I'm, you know, I'm, I got them on the list now. Yeah. Plus Jonathan Isaac and Mark Alfonso once they're healthy again, this team's got a really, really good young core. And I think that's why they felt so comfortable blowing it up a little bit last year. Right. You know, they bought in RJ Hampton. He looked good in, in spurts. Gary Harris looked all right in spurts as well. I think Harris didn't look too bad. Obviously, he's one of the more veteran names on the roster. Who else did they, Who else did I think played well? That's pretty much it. So Hampton, Anthony, Stuggs, Bamba, uh, Wagner looked good. Friends, that is not um not Mo. Although Mo did Mo had like that. three threes, four threes. Yeah, I'm just you know, game. It's crazy. Yes, didn't um, Scal said that right? Like he played for like two weeks and came back for a revenge game in preseason. <laughs> like, how dare you trade me? Um, the last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up, we'll circle it back, is Rob Williams. Um, just simply, if anyone's been listening to this podcast for you know more than a year, they're going to have heard me do this tangent at least three times, four times at this point. But Rob Williams started shooting mid-range jump shots. They didn't going but he showed a very large willingness to pull up from mid-range and start working that mid-range jumper anybody that knows me or knows how i've looked at rob williams development developing that mid-range jumper was going to be the number one thing for me for, uh, where i wanted to see him start to excel because of that short roll threat he offers with his passing adding that mid-range jump shot just opens up so many more avenues for him we also saw him attempt a couple of hook shots as well he was posting guys up just at like the high mid post and he was turning and trying to get like a little jump up going. So I just like the, I like seeing Rob Williams diversify how he's attacking the rim because once he can start dragging defense defenders out a little bit more with the threat of that jumper or that, um, that little jump hook, then now his rolls to the rim are going to just become that little bit easier, that little bit more varied. So they didn't go in, in this game. They might not go in for the next, you know, the next six to eight weeks, it might be longer than that, three, four, five, six months. But when they do start to fall at a consistent rate, uh, I think that's just going to absolutely propel him to a, a completely different level than what he's on at the moment. Yeah, I I, I kind of look at that development similar to Bam Adebayo's development in that short role because Bam really started taking that shot uh, back in the bubble. That was the first time he started flashing that he had the 15-footer um, because the short role, as you said, is going to be wide open wide open and Rob has to be willing to take it just like Tice had to be willing to take it when he was on the team. And that was one of the issues that we had with him. He was, he was not willing to take that shot. Um, so I, I think Rob definitely has the opportunity this year. If he's going to start, he's going to get so many chances to shoot that shot and he, need, and he needs to shoot it. He's not going to have the handles of a Bam out of bio. Who's probably one of the better handling bigs in the league, but he's a good passer. And if, if he can start drawing people out to contest that shot, it's going to open up a whole world of, of options for him out of the short roll. So I agree with you, man. You know, we're, we're both big lob guys. Um, it's, I, I was kind of expecting Horford to start at the five and Williams to come off the bench. But if they're going to roll out with Rob Williams at the five all year, I'm here for it, man. 
Yeah, I'm here for Robert the five, Horford at the five. I'm here for Jalen at the five, Jason at the five, <laughs> Smart at the five. Um, honestly, like I'm here for any diversified offense that Udoka wants to throw out there. But for my biggest takeaway from this game was just unselfish ball movement, and that's off-ball movement, on-ball movement. I just thought that this team looked like a completely different animal to the one that we saw at the end of last season last season they looked like they were dejected they were, you know everyone was devoid of ideas on how to do things differently obviously i do have concerns over the switching system that they use against the magic yeah far too like high switches soft switches they were running what's called veer back switches which is where you switch the big onto the perimeter and you have the guard switch onto the rolling big so what you ask the guard to do is try and get in front of the big and then sit into his legs as he's rolling and that way you know if the guy if the big needs to try and get around you it's going to be an over the back foul it really makes it tougher and it wears the big down because he's got obviously the weight of somebody on his legs so they ran schroeder as a veer back guard um, a couple of times during that game um, and I get it I understand why but at the same time like if you've got Robert Williams and you're switching them onto the perimeter you're losing that rim protection so I think that Udoka needs to tweak that switching system uh, I'd say a little bit but quite a lot and try and figure out something a little bit more um, a little bit less aggressive and more conducive to stopping some of these dominant rolling bigs yeah on that veer back screen one thing I think with the second unit, especially with Schroeder or Pritchard as the as the lead point guard, I don't think that that philosophy is going to hold. But in the starting lineup with Marcus Smart in that position, then you can do it. But one thing that they were doing as well with that veer back is that the whoever was in the opposite corner, they were kind of scramming the veer back uh, point guard out whenever they had yeah. the opportunity, right? Which is something dating back to the Isaiah Thomas that you know we really started to do a lot more anytime. We were at a size disadvantage when the ball's up in the air. We switched that out. Um, so, you know, it, I, I, I wonder, just like he was experimenting with the starting lineup, if that was just an experimentation for how he wants to switch. And maybe in game two, we'll see more drop coverage or, you know, we'll see just a, a, maybe a few, a, a few instances of zone. But as long as the Celtics are being aggressive and decisive and they decide like, hey, this is our philosophy on defense, Let's see how it goes, man, because we got so many like-sized players, especially in that starting lineup with all the wings that we have. We can throw Neesmith out there who can guard a big for you know a couple seconds of possession, Richardson, Romeo, all these dudes that can do it. Um, the only guys you really worry about are, are Schroeder and Pritchard, but I, I'm with you on that. I would like to see them kind of just like curb that just a little bit um, and take less risk. Yeah, for sure. And the last thing I'll say is you are right. They definitely were um, scramming that veer back out of there once that once the veer backings, uh, once the veer back had slowed down the big, they'd scram him out of there. The difference is when it was the Isaiah Thomas years, it wasn't part of the plan to throw Isaiah Thomas into any type of screen or it was just a byproduct of whatever was happening on the floor. This was very much by design. Um, so I, I'm like you, hopefully this was more of a, Hey, we want to be able to scram guys out of this situation. So we're going to put you in this situation a bunch during the preseason so that you can understand the timing of scramming guys out of there once the real game start. And obviously that's what preseason's for. It's for experimentation, man. Anyway, you've been listening to the Celtics pod. Make sure that you tune in again on Friday when it should be me and somebody, it might be Willie, it might be Greg. It might just be somebody absolutely random. I honestly don't know who it's going to be uh until then make sure you leave that five star written review if you're on an apple android device just go up down scroll down hit the five stars write something really nice about myself greg will 
whoever you want to write nice things about will all be grateful. If you're not using an Apple Andro an Apple device and you're on Android, word of mouth makes it the best way. So you know your pizza delivery guy, your Uber driver, your swimming instructor, your life coach, your fitness guru, your counselor, your teacher. Greg's a teacher. Greg wants to hear somebody to come up to him and say, Greg, I heard you on a podcast the other day. Or Mr. Manakis, however they want to pronounce, you know. But yo, so um, I was back in Boston, as I said. Will was back there too, so we got to we got to hang out a little bit. We had a lot of people come up to us and let us know that they've been listening to this pod, um, and just like all the stuff that Will and I are doing with um, with podcasting. So it was pretty cool that you know they they're like, oh, I, I really like the pod with the uh, with the British guy. <laughs> like, ah, he's, he's a cool dude. <laughs> ah, the British guy. Hate that title, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, Greg, do you want to lead us out, man? We're about to listen to a song by you, so you can lead us out. Yeah, so I'm part of a band down here in Austin, Texas called Black Sheep Optimists. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Black Sheep Optimists. You can find us on wherever you get your um, wherever you get your music, any streaming service that you go to. And the song that you're about to hear is from our EP called Book One, and this is D Lo. Peace. <laughs> 